America now. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never it's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for being here today. A lot to talk to you about. We've got a lot going on. In the news cycle, around the world, and here at home, of course. So those two things are uh, blending together a bit with President Trump's first planned foreign visit about to be uh, underway. Uh, here's the itinerary uh, that Trump has. He's going to be in uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia tomorrow, and then uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and then Rome. So Trump will be visiting the... Uh, countries that are the homelands of the three great monotheisms, the three Abrahamic religions. In the case of Saudi Arabia, he's not visiting a sacred or holy city. He's visiting uh, the capital city. Um, but I uh, wanted to talk to you a bit about expectations for what will be going on while he is in Saudi Arabia. Uh, but, but first, you know, there's all this criticism about how Trump hasn't traveled abroad in his first hundred days how he likes to sleep in his own bed. Uh, even when he was on the campaign trail, he would choose to go home no matter where he was in the country. He would choose uh, to head home and um, not be abroad, or not, not abroad internationally, but even away from home, which I totally respect. I understand. I'm a homebody. I like my own bed. I don't particularly like to be sleeping in random places. And the days where I used to travel and have to worry about uh, strange mosquito-borne diseases or uh, drinking the water, perhaps getting caught in some kind of a, a civil strife, a coup, or getting kidnapped, or being in the middle of a market or a souk, and you know, AK-47 start going off. I I'm done with all that. I, I have no interest, at least for the purposes of leisure. I would never go to those places anymore. Uh, I've done enough. And also, even for work, uh, well, for work, I'd probably do it, but... These days, my work involves me uh, being in, in the Freedom Hut first and foremost. But so Trump is traveling abroad, and this might give a nice respite for the administration uh, from the recent news cycle, which has been rough. Let's just be honest about it. It has been a, a tough few days for the Trump administration. You had the allegations of oversharing with the president and his uh, uh, Russians— I was going to say Russian buddies, but that makes it sound like I'm part of the Trump conspiracy. But a couple of Russians that he had in the Oval Office. And then the next day, of course, the Comey, the alleged Comey memo saying that Trump made a comment that some were trying to say was obstruction, uh, intended obstruction of the FBI investigation into Trump-Russia collusion. And, and then the media has just been going nuts on all that. Plus also the appointment of a special counsel which the Democrats and the left had been hoping for, had been pushing for 
uh, for many days. So it has not been an easy week for the Trump administration. The, the media feels like they've scored a lot of points. So while this isn't necessarily the dream vacation that I would put together, not sure I'd be heading to Saudi Arabia for fun. Um, they don't allow women to drive, as you know. They have public executions, no uh, displays of any re- any non-Muslim religious symbols in public, obviously no alcohol, no eating pork, all of this uh, regressive 7th century nonsense that exists in this country that is also buying many, many billions of dollars worth of the most advanced military equipment money can buy. In fact, there are reports out that that's a major aspect of what Donald Trump We'll be talking to the Saudis about uh, the the future of U.S.-Saudi uh, military and counterterrorism cooperation and also, of course, the arms deals uh, that will be forthcoming. But I wanted to just give you my sense of, of the U.S.-Saudi relationship right now. People often will talk about it as one between frenemies. Um, I have heard Saudi Arabia and the, the royal family uh, denigrated for their support of jihad and uh, Wahhabism all over the world m- countless times, including by some uh, true Saudi experts. People have spent a lot of time in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So what's the reality? I, I thought we got Trump heading off. to He'll be in Riyadh tomorrow. Um, I assume he's getting a crash course in all things Saudi Arabia. But how is it possible that the greatest... Uh, the, the greatest spreader of uh, Wahhabism, instead of spreading freedom, they spread Wahhabism. The, great, the greatest spreader of Wahhabism is also a critical counterterrorism and national security ally in the Middle East. Well, it's a complicated relationship. And to understand how we got to the current place, you could go all the way back to the beginning, meaning the origins of the current Saudi state. Uh, so if you look back in the mid-18th uh, century, Muhammad ibn Abd al-Wahhab, who was a, a, a cleric, a cleric out in the Saudi—well, it wasn't Saudi then, it was just the Arabian desert— uh, he created or sought an alliance with Muhammad bin Saud, like Saudi. Uh, and those two together, the cleric— and the tribal warlord uh, formed a uh, formed an alliance that would become, in the Arabian Peninsula, uh, the beginnings of the Saudi state. And part of the problem here, though, was that uh, you had this uh, Muhammad uh, Abdel Wahab, and Ibn just means son of. By the way, Abd is uh, is slave, um, and obviously you know, you know Muhammad is the Prophet Muhammad, um, but when you see the the term transliterated from the Arabic ibn, it means uh, son of, and so it's like if we're doing you know Norwegian or you're looking at some of those you know uh, Thor's daughter or Sven's daughter means actually Sven's daughter, <laughs> ibn is son of. So uh, this guy Wahab, we'll call him Wahab, had a very strict, very severe, very literal textualist interpretation of the Quran and of the Hadith, the accompanying uh, sayings attributed to the Prophet Muhammad. And the Hadith is based also on 
a line of transmission, meaning who said what to whom so that we knew about this, called the Isnad. Um, and there are, there's a huge body of Hadith, even, even beyond Quranic scripture. And what is accepted and what is not depends on you know, who is doing the interpretation and, and who you're asking, which Islamic scholar you're, you're asking. Um, but so the origins of the Saudi state that we have today was a, a fundamentalist preacher and a warlord in the 18th century Arabian Peninsula. And keep in mind, by the way, at that point, no oil because there's no oil industry and they certainly hadn't discovered it yet, but that's going to change. In fact, in 1938, American prospects, uh, prospectors discovered the, uh, these tremendous oil reserves in Saudi Arabia. The, they were the, the biggest in the world uh, at that time. And so this kingdom that had been a, of religious significance, and if you go back and read about Lawrence of Arabia, you know, ha- had played a role in some of the great power conflicts. But it wasn't until... Uh, you get into the middle of the 20th century that you have the Saudis flush with cash. I mean, wealthy on a scale that is was was almost unimaginable at the time and came out of nowhere. And so this very regressive and backwards society, um, which is what the Saudi peninsula was at the time, uh, all of a sudden has so much cash that it's not just able to radically modernize from a technological perspective, although there are some funny stories in the early days about uh, Saudi princes who wanted to buy like a Rolls Royce and there were no roads for them to drive on. And a Rolls Royce is a great car, but if you're driving around in sand dunes, it's not going to last very long. So that's kind of a metaphor for the early days of the Saudi Saudi state post-oil boom. Um, so they, they get all of this money coming in, and uh, then you start to see the, the problem that we're dealing with now become uh, realized, which is that right around the mid-1960s, when King Faisal of the uh, Saud dynasty, uh, from which we get the name Saudi Arabia, right? It's like Arabia of the Saudis, the Saudi dynasty. When King Faisal... Um, ascended and when he took the throne in 1964 from there um, he took it upon himself to spread Islam all over the world now this of course served a purpose for the dynasty and it it's one that continues to this day which is that in order to have some legitimacy as a monarchy this is just an old school king really this is I'm the guy because of who my dad was, who's in charge of everything, nobody can override me, I control the military, I control politics, I control everything. In order to gain some legitimacy in the eyes of the people, um, not only was the Saudi dynasty in charge of protecting the holy cities of Mecca and Medina, right, which goes back to the time of the prophet Muhammad and uh, you know, his, his flight, he went. He went to Medina originally, and then came back uh, because he was he was expelled or f- fled from Mecca. Went to Medina. That's called the Hijra, and then it's where the Islamic calendar starts. By the way, that's why their calendars are. It's obviously different from ours. Uh, but uh, then they came back, or he came back with supporters and and took the city of Mecca. But the Saudi dynasty in the 20th century, let's say ni- mid 1960s, figures out under King Faisal. Well, if we're going to be legitimate, if we don't want 
them storming the, the Bastille, so to speak, if we don't want a coup. And remember, in the 20th century, autocracies were, were getting, getting the boot via coups. Usually coups come from, just as a matter of uh, political science analysis, coups usually come from powerful insiders. It is, in fact, much less likely, historically speaking, that a coup comes from an uprising of the people. Sometimes the people will be mobilized in the context of adding legitimacy to the coup. So you'll see protesters in the streets, but the person who's really pushing it or the people who are really pushing it are close to the existing regime. You know, it's it's not that the king gets toppled by a bunch of angry peasants, you know, by a bunch of, of bakers and farmers in the streets. That can happen, but usually it's, sure, there might be bakers and farmers in the streets, but it's the general or the chief of the intelligence services or a relative who's been, you know, ver- had various ministries who is part of the coup, right? I mean, who's the one who kicks the leader out? So in order to avoid that fate, the Saudis double down on the legitimization process, making themselves more legitimate by becoming the protectors of the two cities, Mecca and Medina, the holiest cities in Islam. The third is Jerusalem, by the way, which is also where Trump is going. Interesting side note. Um, And they also sought to export what they believed, or what they at least pretended to believe, was the only true and pure vision of Islam. And this has had incredible effects, and not good ones, uh, overwhelmingly negative effects, certainly from the perspective of the West and civilization and the global order and peace that we seek. Saudi money funding extremist Islam has been one of the most destabilizing forces of the 20th and now into the 21st century. And yet Donald Trump will be talking to them about enormous arms deals with U.S. arms makers giving them some of the most advanced stuff you can buy on the market, as well as our close counterterrorism cooperation with the Saudi state. Well, how does this happen? I'll give you much more detail, my friends, on the flip side of this break. Stay with me. Welcome back, Team Buck. So we're talking about Saudi Arabia. Trump is visiting tomorrow. Uh, This is part of his first foreign trip as, well, the head of the United States government. And uh, he will be meeting with the Saudis. There'll be all kinds of interesting discussions, I am sure, about uh, a number of number of key and critical issues. Um, but th- th- let's get back into why is it that Saudi Arabia is so problematic from the perspective of counterterrorism. So just to recap, you've got this preacher in the desert in the 18th century, Muhammad ibn uh, Wahhab, and he is the person from whom we get the term Wahhabism, which is what you call the strain, the uh, sect of Islam that is practiced in Saudi Arabia and that has been exported all over the world. He had an alliance with a, a, a tribal warlord in the desert and from the, named uh, Saud, uh, part of the House of Saud. And from there, uh, we now have the origins of the Saudi state. And I, don't have, I won't go into all of the, the details um, at the time, but you, you, get the, you get the basics of it. Um, and that's all you really need for our purposes right now. Back to uh, what's going on with the Saudis today. 
Um, the Saudis have a tremendous amount of money because of their oil wealth. If you take oil out of the economy of all the Arab Muslim states, I should note that I think they have a smaller uh, a smaller GDP than a mid-sized European country. So oil is critical to not just Saudi Arabia, but to a number of Muslim states in the Middle East. And Saudi Arabia has been the big dog on the block when it comes to oil for a long time. Uh, this has meant that it has much more sway in geopolitics than it would otherwise. It means that it has a more advanced military. It's a bigger player in the region. And Saudi Arabia is a Sunni Arab state. Now, ever since 1979, with the Iranian Revolution, uh, Iran has been set up as the Shia uh, Muslim state. Now, Iran is Persian, so it's ethnically not Arab, important to note, but it is Shia Muslim. So Sunni Arabs are Muslims, Shia Persians are Muslims, but they have two different, they're the two different uh, sects, the primary schism from within Islam, Sunni and Shia, and then also they're different dominant uh, or predominant ethnicities, although there are a lot of non-Persians in Iran uh, as well. Nonetheless, uh, the Saudis have been exporting, and they started this in the 60s, their interpretation of Islam all over the world. How do you export belief? It's pretty easy, actually. If you have the cash, if you have the checkbook to do it, the Saudis have been writing enormous checks, uh, giving a lot of funding to places all over the world. This is from the New York Times piece. The reach of the Saudis has been stunning, touching nearly every country with a Muslim population, from the Gothenburg Mosque in Sweden to the King Faisal Mosque in Chad, from the King Fahd Mosque in Los Angeles to the Seoul Central Mosque in South Korea. Support has come from the Saudi government, the royal family, Saudi charities, and Saudi-sponsored organizations, including the World Muslim League, the World Assembly of Muslim Youth, and the International Islamic Relief Organization, they provide the hardware of impressive edifices and the software of preaching and teaching. Um, this is how you get to a situation where one country's version of Islam, which has uh, about 1.6 billion adherents, uh, is now so problematic for us. Now, only a small percentage of uh, Wahhabists or really Salafists, again, Salaf uh, meaning the uh, revered forefathers of Islam, uh, a small percentage of them become violent jihadists, but it, it should uh, be noted, I think. Um, I, I think we should take note of the fact that 15 of the 19 hijackers on September 11th, 2001, were Saudis. Saudis sent more suicide bombers than any other country to Iraq uh, during the Second Iraq War. And has sent a tremendous amount, I think second only to Tunisia, tremendous amount of foreign fighters uh, to the Islamic State. A few thousand of them, according to the New York Times here. Um, so there's clearly a problem. Uh, and th that's when you add in all the textbooks that have been funded. In fact, this was really embarrassing. The Islamic State was using textbooks that were official Saudi textbooks out of 12 works by Muslim scholars republished by the Islamic State. Seven are by Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. Uh, he was the 18th century founder of the Saudi School of Islam.
Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. Welcome back, Team Buck. I just wanted to finish our chat about Saudi Arabia, why it is what it is when it comes to the U.S. relationship with it and the good, the bad and the ugly of the modern Saudi state. President Trump will be in Saudi Arabia tomorrow. It is an important international visit for our commander in chief. And I've gone over a bit of the origins of this. Remember, it was a a 18th century cleric with a warlord uh, that began the House of Saud. But that cleric had a hardline interpretation of Islam that became known as Wahhabism. And uh, we have seen, because of the oil wealth of the Saudis in the 20th century, the ability to export uh, that ideology all over the world. Now, this gives the Saudi state, of course, strategic depth and relationships and that it has influence in other Muslim countries when you have more people, whether we're talking about uh, Indonesia or Bosnia, if you have more people in that country that uh, have a similar interpretation of Islam, it it does give you some uh, leverage and connectivity with countries all over the world. And also it makes the Saudi uh, citizens who live under an autocracy. I mean, it is an authoritarian government. It is a theocracy. It's uh, a government based in a uh, a supposedly godly uh, and d- divine uh, mandate. And uh, the way the Saudi citizens, one of the ways the Saudi citizens are diverted from the failures and the oppression of the Saudi state is that the Saudis appear to be. I mean, actually, the royal family puts up this pretense of being pious and also has a close relationship with the various clerics. And this gets us to the point of stability. Uh, This is one of the reasons why, even though there are all of these issues when it comes to the Saudis, one of the reasons why there are all these concerns about, uh, well, while there are all these concerns about the Saudis, we don't do very much to try to hold them accountable is Uh, One, we need them as a counterbalance to Iran, as I've said to you. And this also then leads into the following. This is a story from yesterday. $110 billion weapons sale to Saudis has Jared Kushner's personal personal touch. Uh, $100 $100 billion plus arms deal the administration hoped to seal with Saudi Arabia in time to announce it during Mr. Trump's visit to the kingdom this weekend. The two sides discussed a shopping list that included planes, ships, and precision-guided bombs. Then an American official raised the idea of the Saudis buying a sophisticated radar system designed to shoot down ballistic missiles. So we are in a negotiation right now for $110 billion here, according to the New York Times, of very sophisticated U.S. military hardware. Why would we be selling that to a government that, again, 15 of the 19 9-11 hijackers from Saudi Arabia, uh, countless hundreds, thousands of mosques and, and religious programs all over the world funded, uh, created, supported by the Saudis that teach hatred, uh, that teach a fundamentalist interpretation of Islam that subjugates women, that uh, is venomous towards non-Muslims, and in fact, even to Muslims who aren't the proper kind of Muslim, to Shia and to uh, different, you know, whether we're talking about um, Muslim offshoots or 
uh, people who are polytheists, which is what they think of Hindus, because Hindus worship many gods. Uh, th- this is the, the poison that is spread by the Saudis all over the world. But we're selling them $110 billion of weapons, and we have very warm relations with them. Why is that? Well, we need them for counterterrorism help. Uh, they are a partner in counterterrorism cooperation. And we need them as a counterbalance to Iran. We're hoping that they will have an even closer relationship with the state of Israel going forward. Uh, but also, we can't let Saudi uh, collapse. There have been many analyses written in recent years about the possibility of Saudi Arabia going the way of, say, Egypt or Syria or any number of Tunisia, probably an even more apt example, uh, of a country that in the Arab Spring era has a sudden uprising from the streets, usually with a jihadist slash Islamist uh, vanguard or or a the tip of the spear, uh, those who are really pushing and who have power and who organize and mobilize and can level a military challenge against the state as well as just an ideological challenge, oftentimes have religious roots, right? Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. The concern is that the Saudi state, which is now our ally, where you have President Trump visiting, again, as I said, tomorrow, uh, if the Saudi state collapses, if all of a sudden the House of, 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 of Saud or House of Saud, uh, if it collapses, what do we have? Uh, you have a population that we don't even really know what they think. The levels of extremism ideologically are kept in check by the fact that the Saudis rule with an iron fist over their own people. You know, you step out of line, you have no rights, you're done. I mean, there's there's nothing that, no one's going to come and help you if the Saudi royal family decides that you're a threat. Uh, and that means that, and, and they have suffered terrorist attacks on their own soil. There are jihadists who have turned against, uh, who have turned against the royal family. In fact, the most famous of all time would be Osama bin Laden himself, who, while uh, born in, or I should say, from a Yemeni family, uh, uh, he is... Uh, he is Saudi himself, bin Laden, uh, but his citizenship was taken away. And uh, the Saudis have seen this internal threat for a while. They realize that jihadism, the, the true jihadists, view Saudi cooperation with the West as making the royal family in Saudi Arabia part of what they would call the, the near enemy, uh, the enemy that is apostate regimes, meaning supposedly Muslim governments that have sold out to the West, to America, and even in some cases to Israel, and therefore delegitimizing them for all true Muslims. So there's a a battle for legitimacy going on in Saudi Arabia between hardliners who are mostly under the surface, and then the Saudi state and its favorable clerics, Saudi state being this royal family, uh, with a, a huge royal family, by the way. It's all very wealthy, and they drive around in super fancy cars and fly around the world in private jets and, and live lives that are very removed from those of their oppressed subjects. But we can't imagine, nor do we think we can afford a situation where the Saudi state collapses and you have uh, jihadists even taking a portion of the country over control. You know, that's... That's a nightmare scenario. 
Um, and this is also also factors into our thinking about, well, what happens if, this, if the Iranians go nuclear and then the Saudis want to go nuclear? Now we've really got a concern because if the Saudi state goes nuclear and then the craziest elements of Saudi Arabia are in charge, what does that look like for Israel, for anybody in the region and for us? So we have a, an incredibly complicated relationship with the Saudi state. They are officially an ally. Uh, there are elements of the Saudi uh, population, and, and I'm sure Saudi officials as well, who are supportive of jihad in various ways, uh, and supportive certainly of the ideology of a hardline Islamism, uh, of a Salafist interpretation of the Quran. And so they are, you could say, our national security frenemy. Uh, they are helpful in some ways. They are very destructive in others. Trump's meeting with them will be interesting. We'll do a uh, after-action report on that for you all. Um, and in the meantime, give me a call if you know, let me know what you think about Trump's first trip abroad or anything else. And in fact, we could even do action movie quote Fridays. Team, we'll be right back. I know we just did a deep dive on Saudi Arabia because Trump is going to be hanging out there tomorrow. Um, no boozing in Saudi Arabia, but Trump doesn't drink, drink, so that's pretty easy. Actually, you know, I'm sure there's behind closed doors certain hotels. I'm sure there's all kinds of uh, Johnny Walker that is consumed and other things. But nonetheless, um, we have, oh, it's Action Movie Quote Friday. Action. Beats. We can kill it. Movie. Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Quote free your mind. Fridays. Action movie quote Fridays. Adam in Virginia's got one for me. What do you got, sir? Hey, Shields High, Buck. Shields High. <clears throat> All right. Uh, it's a it's a softball, but it's a awesome movie. I know you like it. I'll too. take it. Uh, when some wild-eyed eight-foot monster, eight-foot maniac grabs your your neck, taps the back of your favorite wall up against the barroom wall and uh, looks you crooked in the eye and asks if you paid your dues. You just stare that big sucker right back in the, the eye. check is in the mail. That's right, Jack Burton. <laughs> Jack Burton, Big Trouble, Little China. I, I, that, I cannot pretend that that is a great movie, but I love that movie anyway. I mean, it is an absurd, it is an absurd piece of cinema, but I love it anyway. I don't, I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. In fact, I watch it back sometimes. I'm like, this doesn't even make any sense, but I love it. <laughs> Absolutely awesome, man. Rock and roll. Shields high, Adam. Thank you very much for calling in. Carl in Indiana, next on the line here. What's up? Buck, Shields high. Shields high. All right, you ready for this one? Yes, sir. Listen and understand, he's out there. He can't be bargained with. He can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and it absolutely will not stop ever. Until you are dead. Kyle Reese to Sarah Connor in Terminator 1 explaining to her the precarious situation she's in while the T-800 is on her tail. Boom. Got it. Boom. Is it the, is it the T-800? I think it is the 800 model. I forget. But yeah. Uh, yeah. There we go, man. Anything else, Carl? Uh, Buck, I just wanted to uh, ask your opinion on hypothetically, if worse comes to worse and impeachment proceedings go through, what kind of pressure can the rest of us put on our elected officials to let them know if they go through with this, they're going to pay. 
Uh, I think the obvious ways or the the clear ways would be to to call in, to email. You know, you write them. People think that that doesn't matter. It actually does, especially for a congressman. You know, congressional elections are determined by pretty thin margins in a lot of places, and they want to keep their jobs. So if you get a switchboard lit up to a congressman's office and uh, and enough emails, you know, and, and also... Just like with me, right, when people write me an email and it's thoughtful and, and, you know, they don't have to agree with me or even be nice necessarily, but as long as they're respectful and and sane, I'm likely to read through it and and try to respond uh, in good faith. Same thing's true with the Congress, right? If you write, you're like, you're a crook and a criminal, and you know what I mean? You're probably not going to get the intended result. So, yeah, I mean, I I think you reach out to them, put pressure on them, light up the switchboard to your congressman and— you know, yeah. I, by the way, I don't. Impeachment's not. It's not going to happen. People are acting. I'm going to talk about this in a few minutes. The media is acting like Trump's going to get back and they'll have, you know, changed out the locks to the White House. That's not the way this is going to go. Yeah, I just, I just, I just feel like the Republican Party is is getting a little weak need right now, and I want to see more resolve. I want to see some grit. I want to see, I want to see some loyalty. Some. I just, I'm just, I'm disheartened right now, to be honest. Yeah, well, I, I hear you, man. You're not, you're not alone. I don't, know, I don't, I don't know what the Republicans in Congress are doing. I know you got, you got uh, Paul Ryan yesterday saying like, "Don't worry, we're still doing lots of stuff." Eh, I don't know about that, Paul. Not, not sure I'm buying, not sure I'm buying that car on the lot. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not. Uh, I need to kick the tires, take it for a test drive. I'm not buying it. So, Carl, thank you for calling in from Indiana. Good to talk to you, sir. Joe in California. What's up, my friend? Shields, hi. Shields, hi, Brock. Hey, is there a little? Is there a? It sounds like a young in there. There is. Go ahead, show. Shields, hi, Brock. Uh, I hear the giggles, so I'll, I'll take the giggles of Shields, hi. But thank you very much. Uh, who, who's the Who's the little one? Uh, it's my daughter. Um. We've actually all got Shields High t-shirts here, so I guess... Oh, rock. oh phenomenal. Fun. Thank and you, sir. We are... People have been asking me, BuckSexton.com is going to have gear. It's just taking a little while to get the proper manufacturer. We're doing it, though. I can't wait to make the announcement. I'm going to be wearing Shields High t-shirts all the time, and also Team Buck and Freedom Hut and all the other stuff we're going to have, but it's taking a little bit of time. But I'm glad you've got some of the... Uh, that stuff is now... Those are collector's items, my friend, because there's going to be a whole new line coming out, but those are collector's items. The Shields High t-shirt. Yeah, well, I I sport mine all the time out here. And uh, thank you. Me, me, honestly, me too. Uh, they're very yeah. comfortable. Very good material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, uh, haven't called in since your last day on the Blaze, uh, but uh, the timing isn't great for me anymore. But good to talk to you again after quite a while. Well, I hope you're a podcaster so, if you can't catch uh, me live. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm downloading it every day. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, the action movie quote. This is another softball for you. See you at the party, Richter. Oh, that's uh, after uh, after he removes the arms of the bad guy in Total Recall via the elevator. Yeah, he throws the arms down and says, "See you at the party, Richter." Yeah, that's a pretty. You know that that movie. There's a that's a very even for a Schwarzenegger movie. Total Recall is quite very violent, cool. but very you know they made that remake. Oh, yeah. With with Jessica Biel, who's now oh married to Justin Terrible. Timberlake, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Um, but uh, they made the the remake, and it's it's remakes are very interesting to me sometimes because especially with with you know it's newer with better technology, you'd figure the production value be much higher. The remake makes the original Total Recall you know look like a seven time Oscar winner. I mean, it's not even close. The remake is terrible. <laughs> 
Yeah, it is terrible. Yeah, I know. Anyway, Buck, you gonna go see a movie this weekend? You take the young lady with you? No, no, we won't go to a movie. We've uh, got other fish to fry. All right, good man. We'll do whatever you do. There's always Netflix. That's what I like to say. There's always Netflix. Uh, Joe, great to talk to you, man. Shields High, appreciate it, and uh, thank you for staying with me in the transition from the old Freedom Hut to the new. Um, uh, We have time for one more call. Okay, we'll do it. Barry in Mississippi. What's up, Barry? Yo, Buck, how you doing? Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, sir. Quick question. Got a short amount of time. I've been waiting for the right. Sorry, um, we, we, we got about a minute and change. You don't have to rush. So go ahead. Take take okay. your time with the question. I've been waiting for the right time to ask it. You opened the door. Uh, without Islam, and, and considering what you just said recently, without Arabia, would there even be a TSA? Well, without 9-11, there clearly wouldn't be a TSA. And without jihadists, there wouldn't be a 9-11. And so... Um, without, uh, you would, you know, you, you don't have to see, this is where you get into, uh, treacherous intellectual waters, right? Because it's, it's a tiny, it's a tiny, tiny fraction of, uh, the Islamic world, okay. a very, very, very small percentage of, of Muslims. And when I say very, very small, I mean, you know, you're, and I'm not somebody that tries to hide the numbers or play games, right? I mean, I tell you the truth, which is that jihad is the biggest terrorist threat in America, around the world, that the greatest threat of uh, the most regressive and dangerous ideology to Western civilization is Islamism and jihadism. Uh, There's no, no, so I I try to play it straight on all that stuff, but you're still thinking about when you're talking about the Muslim population in the world that's actually involved in terrorist activity. I mean, I don't, I, I'm, I can't do the math right off the top of my head, but I mean, you're talking about point zero 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 one or so. I mean, it's very small. But all the people who uh, support Islam, you know, the Quran says you either have to perform jihad or you have to pay for jihad. So don't all these people contribute to their church weekly? And isn't that all funding uh, jihad? Well, they can they can contribute to uh, to their mosque, and they can do something. One of the pillars of Islam is to pay something called uh, the zakat, which is a, a charitable charitable tax. Um, but mo- for the most look, uh, I, now this Barry, I, I thank you for calling in. I, I don't have as much time on this as I think I would need to give a, a more fulsome answer because we're about to go into a break here, but. Um, there is a, a tremendous spectrum of belief within, within, pardon me, stumbling, radio host, get your act together. A uh, tremendous spectrum of belief within Islam from uh, people who are fantastic, uh, moral, wonderful human beings that you know I have and would continue to entrust my life to, and the worst jihadist scum on the planet. He spreads freedom. Because freedom's not going to spread itself. Buck Sexton is back. There was this theory that I think has collapsed already. A theory that Trump would be over there as commander-in-chief in some places overseas doing his thing. He's going to be in Riyadh. I hear it's lovely this time of year in Riyadh, like 120 degrees. Uh, then he's going to be in Israel and Jerusalem and uh, Bethlehem. And then he will be stopping in, I think it's uh, yeah Rome and then Belgium. So, this might be a time for the media to run some stories about, oh, I don't know, a new wonder drug that's on the horizon, or uh, a, a a social media campaign that's raising money for uh, 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 abandoned chihuahuas somewhere, I, whatever, right? Like some nice stories or some just 
educational, informational stories, and, and they would hold the Trump stuff until he came back. But, you know, I heard some pundits, and look, it's tough. I've been in this pundit position where they put you on TV and they're like, say something interesting about this not interesting event. And you're like, well, um, you know, it could go either way. And you start to fall into uh, ESPN commentator mode where, and, and I don't mean the current version, which is like social justice warriors talking about guns and, and racism and all that stuff. No, no, no. I mean, uh, old school where they're just like, you know, the, the guy, the guy who has more points on the board at the end is going to win this thing. You know, it's a pregame. I mean, I know there's a lot more to it than that, but sometimes when you can tell when they're running thin on content, right? And when you're on TV, the same thing can happen. They'll say, you know, Buck, the president's going on his first uh, on his first uh, foreign trip, you know, what will this mean for foreign policy? Yeah, I talked to you about Saudi Arabia, so because I, I think that's interesting. But you know, he's going to go to some meetings. He's going to talk to some people, and no, nothing enormous or uh, life altering is going to come out of this. Certainly not for any of us. And you know, this is what presidents do, right? But back to the initial premise, and I'm going to try to stay on track here and not bounce around too much on Friday. Uh, you th- I, there, there were those, I've seen them going on TV, people last day or two. Oh, it's great that Trump is going to be away because it'll take some of the heat off of this administration, given what I think is the worst week the administration has had would be this week. Uh, I, I believe that is a fair statement to make at this point in time. Um, but nope, media didn't stop at all. Here's what we got now from the Washington, and I'm sorry, the New York Times. Trump told Russians that firing nut job Comey eased pressure from investigation. That is the headline, the main headline on the New York Times right now. I have to read some of this to you, and then we will dis- then we will discuss amongst ourselves. We'll we will discuss this one. Here's what is said: Press recently called Comey a nut job is. Um, yeah, not that if, if somebody asked me, if they said, Buck, Trump said something mean about Comey, uh, we'll give you, we'll give you three guesses. I think, I mean, not, and and no profanity allowed. I think nut job would have been in there. I I think I probably could have gotten that one, but all right, here's what this piece says in the New York times. President Trump uh, told, trolled Russian officials that would actually be that, that maybe there's that too. President Trump told Russian officials in the Oval Office this month that firing the FBI director, James Comey, had relieved, quote, great pressure on him, according to a document summarizing the meeting. Quote, I just fired the head of the FBI. He was crazy. A real nut job, Mr. Trump said, according to the document, which was read to the New York Times by an American official. I faced great pressure because of Russia. That's taken off. Um, Mr. Trump added, I'm not under investigation. Now, this is back to that May 10th meeting, which was came the day after he fired Comey. And you, you can imagine now where they're going with this, right? Okay. All of us who were saying that, uh, not us, but you know what I mean. This is now, I'm speaking from the media perspective. So she's probably like, yeah, all of us who are saying that Trump is a Russian stooge and a puppet, uh, clearly he is. Uh, they're, they're taking this now as definitive proof, right? 
He called Kung. He called, excuse me, sir, but did you call Comey a nut job? That is very unprofessional. Yeah, he did. He, 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 oh, I'm sorry. He may have. I don't know if he did, although I kind of believe it. But I don't know if he did. Um, look, I mean, we, we have been, the wool has been pulled over a lot of eyes here, folks. We've been uh, brainwashed as a country when we think that the FBI director uh, standing up in front of the American people and just deciding because that he's going to take the role of the attorney general who should be announcing the end of the investigation into Hillary's server. The FBI director doing it because he knows that it looks so bad because the attorney general is such a partisan hack uh, that we're supposed to just think that that was okay, that was normal. Um, and, and Comey also threatened to—I think he, he with, with Mueller, threatened to resign in the Bush administration. Look, the guy is a grandstander. I, can't, I don't know him, but I'm starting to get a sense that I know the type. You, you, know, you know the person who was in your class, uh, maybe in, in high school, who was um, just o- o- always a little, little too much of a goody-good, a, a little officious, you know, a little— you know, oh, like the person who, when the teacher maybe forgot on a Friday before a long weekend to tell everybody what the homework assignment is, was like, excuse me, teacher, what will our homework assignment be for this weekend? You know, is that the proper thing to do? Sure. Is it a little annoying? Yes, it is. Could that be a fair analogy to the way some people maybe deal with or view James Comey? Possibly. I don't know the man. He could be great. I'm also assuming he can dunk because he's like 6'8". And when you see him, there's been that video on CNN where he's walking around. like, oh, my gosh, that guy is really tall. Um, I mean, he's like O'Reilly tall. I mean, he's really tall. So, uh, yeah, he may have called Comey a nut job. And this now adds fuel to the fire of, oh, he fired Comey. Because of the Russia investigation, he fired Comey because it, it, it once again, break this down into its components and analyze each one of them separately, as I've done with you over Russia collusion. Does collusion make any forget about the morality, forget about any evidence that exists or doesn't exist? Does it make sense? Right. Does it make sense? Um, you know, if if I was going to, uh, you know, if I was planning to help somebody rob a bank somewhere, right, and I decided that I was going to put on a a chicken suit to do that, that wouldn't make any sense, right? That 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 is not a sensible thing to do. It would draw a lot of attention to me, and that would be dumb. So even if I was willing to be the getaway driver for somebody who was robbing a bank, if I'm wearing a, a, a chicken suit, that's very dumb, right? That that wouldn't make any sense. There's no reason for me to do that. So we can, and that's an imperfect analogy, but I'm just saying, at some level, something is too stupid and risky to believe that a criminal would even do it if somebody was a criminal. And again, I don't even think Trump did any of this stuff, but I'm saying collusion with Russia, collusion's not even a charge. Um, there's no affirmative act. So what are we even, and there's no evidence of anything. I mean, you just keep going down this rabbit hole. It is a level of insanity here. I'm not the only one who thinks so. You've even got Bob Woodward, who's like a like a journalist, you know, demigod on the left because of Woodward and Bernstein and Nixon. Oh my, here's what Woodward had to say. 
stick to the reporting. Yeah. Stick to the reporting. Right. And I think it's time to dial back a little bit about, uh, because there are people around, certainly not you, certainly not the reporters at the mm -hmm. Post, who are kind of uh, binge drinking right. the anti-Trump Kool-Aid. Right. And that is not going to work in journalism. Let the politicians have that uh, binge drinking. I, I think this is a, a good, um, I think it's a good analogy. Binge drinking the anti-Trump Kool-Aid. Uh, I, I, am, I am now picturing uh, various members of the media with like those big things that usually hold Gatorade on the sidelines of games, but full of Kool-Aid that they're just lifting up and pouring all over themselves, yelling, I hate Trump. I mean, that's what's going on. They're embarrassing themselves. They are embarrassed. To those of us who watch closely and have the time to pay attention to them, they're embarrassing themselves. And I, I, some of them occasionally reach out to me in, in back channels to be like, do you, do, you really not, do you really not believe that you know, there's something going on here with Trump and Russia? And, and I was going to say to them, yeah, I, I really don't believe it. Uh, because, look, there's going to be uh, a reckoning here at some point. If Trump, and I know there's now there's a story, I don't even know where, it's in The Guardian or something that says, oh, they're looking more closely at uh, a current White House official, and people are saying that they might be looking more closely at Jared Kushner. And it's just like, you know, if any of the stuff that the media believes is true is ever proven or comes true, those of us who have been defending this administration up to this point will we'll have something to answer for. Those of us who are pushing for Trump from day one in the primaries and no matter what, uh, advancing him uh, at, at all costs beyond all other Republicans, and they'll have a lot to answer for. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't see that. I, I should also note that the, uh, the converse is not true. Um, it, it is not true that... Um, when this is proven to be nothing, when this is not something that is, uh, you know, is, is real anymore, um, then I'm sorry, the obverse. Did I say the converse? The obverse. Buck, get your words right. It's supposed to be a words a, a wordsmith in real time. Although, you know, sometimes you're sometimes you're there hammering at a word and. You know, it, it looks, it's supposed to be a horseshoe and uh, it's just not going to get it done. It doesn't work. Um, wordsmithing. So I, I don't believe any of this nonsense about how Trump, you know all that. But now they're saying, back to the, I got I to gotta pull this back on the rails here. They're saying that he called Comey a nut job and that he felt really relieved after he fired him. Um, I, I believe Trump probably thought that. I, I said originally, I, I hope I said it here on the show, I definitely responded to some emails that I got about this one. They're like, well, why would he fire Comey in this way? I was like, because that's Trump and he doesn't like him. It's not going to shut down the investigation. In fact, it now has led to, it, if the strategic move here was Trump is going to fire Comey so that it will uh, derail the look into the Trump-Russia collusion stuff. At least we've gotten away from calling it the election hack because no election was hacked. So that's nonsense. But I guess the Trump-Russia collusion stuff is also nonsense, but we're still talking about that. But, um, where was I in all this? Yeah, point here being, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna be what they think it's gonna be. And oh, what, what about the obverse, by the way? Um, <laughs> about the obverse, I like to use the word again. Uh, or the obverse 
reality here um, is that when they're wrong, they'll never be wrong. They'll never concede that Trump is is uh, is free of this. In fact, I, I completely disagree with Representative uh, Kinzinger here. This is what he's a, he's a he's a Republican. Here's what he had to say. A- I think it's the right thing to do. I called for this uh, yesterday morning. Uh, I said, look, this has gotten too partisan, and basically any new piece of information people now put through their partisan stripes instead of you know what really happened. So I think you're going to see more people follow in terms of saying, hey, this is the right thing to do. Let's move forward. When the president says that the appointment of a special counsel hurts our country terribly and labels it a, a witch hunt, is he just wrong? I mean, are those statements appropriate? I think he is wrong. Uh, I don't think it's a witch hunt. Look, if uh, if the president thinks there's nothing to hide in this, uh, this will exonerate him. This shows a, a complete either ignorance or dishonesty on the part of those who keep saying, you know, if you have nothing to hide, you know, what's the big deal? Really? Is that how you feel about an IRS audit? Anyone who knows anything about a federal investigation of any kind knows that it is an immensely stressful situation for innocent people who get pulled into it. It is a, a in some cases, life-destroying situation for those who are charged but acquitted. You know, you get acquitted after the federal government's decided they need to make an example out of somebody for some reason, and your life savings are gone, and your reputation's ruined, and you have no job, and maybe, you know, your wife or your husband left you because you couldn't handle the stress. You know what the government does after all that? Nothing. You're just left out there. Sorry, it's our system, you know? It's just, you know, the justice system. Here's what's really coming out of a lot of this, and I, I think that astute, uh, astute observers of this entire situation with Trump and collusion and the DOJ and Loretta Lynch and uh, Hillary's emails and how all this goes down, um, the justice system is really just a, a machine for politics. I mean, sure, if you're, like, trafficking narcotics, I mean, if you do some very basic, straightforward criminal stuff, they're going to get you and they're going to throw you in prison. But the moment that a crime has a political angle, the Justice Department is a politically driven machine. It just is. It just is. We can sit around and try to make ourselves feel safe and warm at night by saying that's not the case, but we'd be wrong. Because it is. And that's very upsetting. But we should all know it and live with that and understand it going forward. All right, 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. The last time we spoke, Senator, I asked you if you had actually seen evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. And you said to me, and I'm quoting you now, you said, not at this time. Has anything changed since uh, we spoke last? Well, not yet. No, it hasn't. So I would depend on this investigation uh, that we're talking about uh, that the would bring generation. forward uh, any criminal activity. But I just want to be precise, Senator, and all the uh, <laughs> uh, you've had access from the Intelligence Committee, from the Judiciary Committee, all the access you've had to very sensitive information. So far, you've not seen any evidence of collusion. Is that right? Well... Evidence that would establish that there's collusion. There are all kinds of rumors around. There are newspaper stories, but that's not necessarily evidence. No, Diane Feinstein, it is not evidence. That is correct. No, rumors based on nothing are that is not evidence. If the rumors are based on something, there's the something which you should have access to, um, as you are a senator 
with access to classified information, so you'd think you'd know. I I love I, I gotta say it's it's pretty mind blowing that we all have to just go along with this pretense, uh, th- this little play along game of you know they're gonna find something any day now. Why would they Why would they find something? They haven't found anything yet, but they're gonna they're oh yeah now now they're gonna find something. Really, really. Uh, we we've had how many months of this going on? How many leaks? Think about this for a moment, everybody. To, to my one of my other theories about how if there was evidence, we would know because it would have leaked. We have a leak now of what Trump said to the Russians involving Comey as a nut job. I mean, the president can't have a private meeting in the Oval Office without specific words, allegedly, being leaked to the media within days. But but we we wouldn't have a leak if there was smoking gun evidence of or any of forget smoking gun any evidence of collusion, which is not even a crime. So I don't even know what we're talking about. Um, anyway, it, it's just it, this it is madness. This is a madness. This is a mass hysteria. This is a a a broad delusion. JJ in Mississippi on WBUV. What's up, sir? Brother, justice is something that doesn't really exist anymore unless you have enough money to buy justice. That is unfortunately true. It is unfortunately true. I'm going to ask you, you're a young man, and I know you're smart, but I want to ask this question for the younger view, uh, listeners that you have. Could you tell us what the three branches of government are? What do you mean, the judiciary, the legislative, and the executive? Yes, sir. Okay. I, I mean, I appreciate the softball, but yeah, thanks. Well, the reason I do that is I have asked young people what they know about the three branches of government, and they don't know. They are not being taught that there are three branches of government. They don't, they're don't. they not being taught how their government works. They don't know what the Gettysburg Address is about. They don't know what the Confederate, the Confederate flag battle is about. They don't know what... What started slavery? What continue? What slavery continues in the world? They're fighting on issues that have been going on for literally centuries, and they don't know why. They don't understand. They're not being taught. They're not being taught civics. Yeah, I know. They're all watching these, you know, vloggers or video video bloggers and Kim Kardashian and reality TV. I know. Now I sound like I'm grumpy with the younger generation, but it's true. JJ Shields, hi, man. Thank you for calling in. Uh, We've got the amazing Kim Strassel from the Wall Street Journal joining. Stay with me. The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? The Buck is back. Welcome back, everyone. We have Kim Strassel on the line. She is a Wall Street Journal editorial columnist, author of The Intimidation Game, how the Left is Silencing Free Speech, and her latest on WallStreetJournal.com, WSJ.com, is the Mueller caveat. Kim, great to have you. It's so great to be here, Buck. All right. What, what is the—and by the way, do, do you go with Mueller? I hear it so many different ways. I'm told it is, in fact, Mueller, but if it's Mueller, I'll take that, too. I think in the last couple of media appearances, I've used it every which way in the same sentence. So we'll just go with whatever. Okay. <laughs> but, so, so, so the former FBI caveat. director who's now special counsel, go ahead. 
the Mueller caveat, uh, no one doubts that Robert Mueller is a, a man of great honor and integrity. He's a decorated Marine. Uh, he's had many years as an ace prosecutor, FBI director, worked for Republicans and Democrats. But the caveat here is in part exactly that. He spent decades, most of his professional life, working within that elite brotherhood of prosecutors and within that exclusive fraternity that is known as the FBI. And the problem with that is that we now have a Russia investigation that spreads well beyond the question of Russia's interference in U.S. elections to the questions of why Jim Comey was fired or the question of whether or not the FBI inappropriately monitored citizens or inappropriately unmasked them and whether or not the FBI or anyone at the Department of Justice is behind the leaks of classified information. And the question is, does Mueller have the objectivity, just given that background, to do an investigation and potentially call out people that followed him or worked for him over the years? And the investigation, you think, it, it's going to go into all these different areas? I, I've been wondering about this. I mean, I know nobody knows because it hasn't happened yet, but it would seem to me that uh, there are those out there who are saying maybe this will even take us into Hillary email server territory. Th that, I think, is a stretch, but I suppose it's feasible. It is. That part is a stretch, I think. But it is notable. Rob Rosenstein's uh, letter that was sent to Mueller asking him to take this position outlined that he was supposed to look into specifically Russia's interference in the election, whether or not there were Trump campaign ties to Russia with regards to that but also any other issues that arise from that. And look, I think in my mind at this point, for instance, look at the Comey firing, okay? There are people within the White House who claim that Comey was fired because of ineptitude or because of the mishandling of the Clinton probe. But there are many, many critics of President Trump who claim he was fired in order to impede an ongoing Russia investigation. I'm not quite sure how Mueller can't look at that and make a judgment on that uh, if he wants to get to the bottom of everything that's been going on. It seems to me like there's a very low likelihood, though, that there would be any criminal activity with regard to Trump and getting rid of the former FBI director, Comey. Um, and if this special counsel comes across information that is not pertinent to charges, my understanding is that ethically he's not supposed to just let that all fly out there. That could be true. And in, in theory, we don't want special counsels that spend a decade looking into things and end up a la Scooter Liber Libby getting someone that wasn't even responsible for the supposed crime at hand, if there isn't even is one. Yeah, there was no crime in that one, by the way, which is always what? left out of this. Nobody was charged with a crime other than Scooter Libby. No crime. Scooter right. Libby's and crime was lying to the FBI and obstruction. Exactly. Right. And that's one of the problems with special counsels is if there isn't anything to turn up, they often feel as though they can't stop until they do get someone for something. Now, I think that if you're talking about all of this, one thing that has been very related to the Russia investigation, directly related, has been the question 
of the leaking of highly classified information, in particular about Michael Flynn. That was the unmasking of a private citizen. There were nine different current and former uh, employees of the federal government who confirmed that to the Washington Post. They're not supposed to be talking about things like this. And I would hope that that would be part of the investigation because – uh, but this is, again, one of the worries. Look, there's a very high likelihood that some of those leaks came within from within the FBI, came with, from within the Department of Justice. Is Mueller going to want to have to go after people that he used to work with? I think that's a very, uh, very important question that everyone should keep in mind, especially as the Democrats uh, will turn on Comey if he or sorry, on, on Mueller if he does not. Uh, play the game they w- the way they want him to, which means there must be criminal charges filed against people at the end of all this. Uh, but Kim, o- overall, as a as a matter of politics, do you think that this is a mistake for the Trump administration? Well, let's be clear. This apparently was a Rosenstein decision, the deputy AG of the uh, Justice Department. And according to all reports, he did not uh, consult with the White House about this, nor did he inform them before it was happening. So I I don't necessarily know if it's their mistake. I do think it is a problem for them, uh, just because – Yes, if anyone were going to do this and if we can have hope that there is a nonpartisan professional who is going to be serious about trying to clear this up, I think Bob Mueller is as good a pick as you get. But again, the history of special counsels is very discouraging in terms of how long they take and where they go and how they end up. We've had maybe one or two okay experiences. The rest of them have been very discouraging. Yeah, and, and nothing really comes of it at the end in a lot of cases, right? I mean, wasn't didn't no, didn't they didn't they do a special counsel for for Waco? And at the end, they're like, yeah, federal government, no problem there, really. Right, and I think let's hope that Bob Mueller understands that the central question, the central problem here, is that we are gripped almost by a paralysis in the Capitol. Uh, over these questions of whether or not there was collusion. And there needs to be very quick and utter transparency on that question. Because, you know, here's the thing that I think a lot of people keep forgetting as well, too, and you now have a number of prosecutors who have been raising this. The only investigation that we know is actually happening is a counterintelligence probe into Russia's activities. And counterintelligence probes, by definition, are not about prosecutions. They're fact-finding missions. So the question is, if there's a crime that comes out of this in the end, it's going to be something to the side of that. You know, it isn't even clear. People don't like to hear this. But even if the Trump associates were working with Russia, Alan Dershowitz was on the radio this week, and he said, what's the crime in that? Name the statute for me that makes that a crime. And I mean, so I think there's a lot of questions about who you could actually string up for anything in the end, even if you, you know, found some information. Kim, I'm hoping you'll help me. And we're speaking to Kim Strassel, everybody, from The Wall Street Journal. And she's also the author of the excellent book, The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech. Kim, I I hope if you agree with this premise, you'll help me popularize it. The notion that they would have taken any active steps in Russia's active measures here to try and collude with them in even assuming the hacking was Russian, assuming the hacking mattered, all of that, there's no reason for the Trump campaign to do anything to help them or work with them on it. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. The Russians don't need the Trump campaign to help them hack. The, the, the Trump campaign has no they have no part to play in the illegality of the hacking, even That's if they were willing to do true. it. 
Yeah, and they also had no reason to inspire nor encourage the Russians to do it. The Russians long ago knew that they had an issue probably with Hillary Clinton, uh, and probably within the moment that the uh, Republican primary was decided and Trump was there, had probably decided which person would play a more helpful, in their view, or a a more easy-to-talk-to negotiating role with. And so they didn't need Donald Trump to tell them that or say anything or signal to them. And as we know, and this is important for the context, Russia has been engaged in elections for decades, maybe not to the degree that they are with hacking that they've been able to perform, but for a long time. This is not news that the Russian government chooses someone and then tries to swing an election the way they'd like it. Real quick, Kim, Kim, before we let you go, Firing eased pressure, Trump told Russia. That's the New York Times headline here. They also say that uh, the president called Comey a, quote, nut job in the Oval Office meeting. Two things. How are they getting this information? And if true, what do you think about this information? This is, to me, one of the most alarming aspects of the last month. And and you know this, given your background. We classify information for, for good reason, and we keep a lot of it out of the eyes uh, for good reason. And we have developed a culture in this city, in Washington, where nobody no longer thinks that there are any consequences for leaking. So every day there's a new story that it comes from private settings or it comes from classified settings. Now, I think it's pretty clear that what we've got here is that some people immediately around Trump are friendly with perhaps former Obama officials or their career staff or aides that are in some of these meetings. They're passing things along and it's getting sent to the press. It could be, look, there's a little bit of a power struggle, if you believe it, within the White House, too. There could be people trying to jockey for positions. Maybe they feel like leaking. But the Trump administration needs to figure out where some of this is coming from and make a move to make it stop, because the headlines they're getting out of it every day are incredibly damaging for the Republican ability to talk about the issues that they care about. And if the president did call Comey a nut job? Well, <laughs> so I have to ask him. I have to anybody. ask. No, I mean, would it surprise anyone? No, it of course very not. Much like a Donald Trump phrase. Uh, you know, I mean, and that's I, why I think, it rings true to me, to be honest with you. I'm like, yeah, I could see Trump saying that. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I could see him saying a lot more things, too. Uh, this is not a guy known for filtering himself. So probably wouldn't surprise me. But uh, also, does it really matter? Clearly, he must have thought that there was something that he didn't like about Comey because he fired him. So finding out belatedly that he thought he was a nut job probably shouldn't surprise anybody. Kim Strassel, author of The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech. Also, check out her columns every week at The Wall Street Journal, where she's on the editorial board. Kim, thank you so much and have a great weekend. Thank you. Jonathan in, where are you from, Jonathan? I can't read it on the screen. I'm sorry? Jonathan, is that Nebraska? Yeah, that's Nebraska. There we go. Jonathan, Nebraska, what's up, my friend? Uh, well, I wanted to start off. I have a, an action movie quote and and a, something else that I wanted to throw your way first. Okay. Uh, I, I suppose we'll do action movie quote first. Let's see what you got. Okay. Here we go. Oh my gosh, 
The guy is a used car salesman. This just keeps getting better and better. This is um, from True Lies when they figure out that Bill Paxton is not, in fact, an undercover agent. Yep. That's correct. H- happy then, to help. Uh, what, what else is on your mind? I, I, want, I want to ask you, in, in action movie fictional history, what is significant about August 29th, 1997? Um, is that when the, the huge war starts in Terminator? Yeah, that's when Skynet becomes self-aware. All right, that's pretty amazing. All right, <laughs> people are going to think that I'm planting these questions at this point, but I just pulled that one out of thin air. Yeah, that, that's yeah, no, you got that one. Yeah, but uh, what I, what I really wanted to bring up was um, have I earned my I, black belt in in action in action movie uh, karate today? I hope so. I I would think so, but I honestly don't know if I'm throwing softballs or. If, if this was kind of a tougher hey man it's friday softballs softballs are welcome on friday what's what else is on your mind well i i was 20 miles away when abu musab al-zarqawi uh was crushed by a thousand pounds of high explosive courtesy of the u.s air force and are you an army guy uh yes thank you for your service i appreciate it but one of the interesting parts when you're over there, if you're watching any kind of news and there's a report about what's going on, it's they almost always miss the mark. And what I wanted to say was I appreciate your particular perspective on things both domestic and internationally. Uh, you cover politics, but you also get into some of the strategic and tactical parts of of what we're all trying to do as far as the United States goes. And, and that's kind of rare. And so I just appreciate you being able to deliver that. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. I, I, I appreciate the support. Um, Shields high, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Thank you for your service, sir. Yeah. I, look, I, I sit around, maybe this is self-serving, but I'm always like, uh, we've had so many uh, incredible, uh, brave Americans with uh, amazing experiences uh fighting in the war on terror fighting for their country and and yet i I turn on the tv and like most of the people that i see that are representing you know that that are representing the the opinions of the country on television i'm like this person's a clown doesn't know anything about about anything has no training in anything other than getting makeup powdered on his or her face and lots of hairspray and reading off of a prompter really which by the way are skills but I mean, at least the prompter part of it, uh, and you know they're per- developing a persona, and I understand all that. But shocking how many, uh, how few hosts I see on various channels that have a background in something other than trying to be a host. I just, I, I don't know. I, 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 per- I watch some of these people. I'm like, unless they're just there to entertain me. If I'm supposed to be learning from them, I, I like to learn from people who actually know something and, and have some experience in something. Now, I know some people on TV uh, in host roles have, you know, uh, in legal profession experience. Some have administration experience, you know, in the government. I, I get that. But a lot, a lot in the news business, it's like, so are you just kind of an actor who's pretending to be, a, you know, a smart guy who reads stuff, but we all know you don't really? Is that is that what's going on here? I'm just asking questions, everybody. I'm just asking questions. Uh, well, interesting note I saw here in the New York Post. We don't have enough time for. I, I've got a quite a segment 
in mind for you. I want to talk to you about why uh, all of the criticisms about Donald Trump's personal life and behavior, that it doesn't upset conservatives more, um, is in part, well, I'm just going to come out and say, it. It, it's the left's fault because of what they put forward and, and who they elect and who they, that uh, to look at what Trump has done and to say, oh, he's, uh, he's unthinkable. Uh, we turn around and look at the people they hold up, you know, and I'm going to get into who we're talking about here. And some of you can probably guess, but who the elected officials are in the Democrat Party and, and their scandals and, and their lack of morality. It's like, I just don't want to hear it from them ever. I, I don't want to hear from them about how they think Trump is, you know, odious or whatever. But this is a side note. This is a, this is a quick, uh, quick food for thought. Maybe we'll get into this more another time. I'd love to get some really good uh, econ finance folks in the guest room. I, I've got great political and national security people uh, and some great reporters, but I'd like to get some really solid uh, econ people. Something I'm thinking out loud here because I, I look, I take suggestions from uh, all of you all the time. And those of you who want, you just write me facebook.com slash bucksex and send a message. The whole team here is on the Facebook page. Everyone can see everything and, you know, sometimes other people will respond, but I'll see, I'll see it too. And if you have, and I, I respond when I can, if you have an idea for somebody who'd be a, a great econ guest, I don't mean like, you know, well, let's, let's break out now. Let's talk about the laughter curve. I mean, no, I, I'm, I mean, let's get somebody on who's going to tell us what's going on, why it feels like we're not getting ahead, why, why there's this economic anxiety in this country that seems to be getting worse, not better. And, uh, but this is just, this just came to me through my own circles in the post it's a new york post piece that says that basically americans don't really know how to manage money and this is a really widespread problem Um, we don't save any money we hide money from our spouses and partners we prioritize paying the wrong bills first we've racked up a trillion dollars in credit card debt and we think more about paying for our next vacation than we do about saving for retirement I know that's a real quick overview but that doesn't sound good anyway we'll hit that another time but uh, coming up here i've got something for you stay with me Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. Team, the lines are open, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. If you would like to uh, give a ring, it'd be great to hear from you. Anthony Weiner pleads guilty to sexting with minor and uh, Huma Abedin, his wife, has filed for divorce. Uh, this has been an ongoing, disgusting, depressing, uh, shocking saga for years. Um, some of you may recall, um, well, before I get to the origins of this, let me just talk about what happened today. Uh, Wiener is facing, uh, any, I think he'll... He won't appeal any sentence between 20 and 27 months in prison. So he's looking at about two years in prison. Uh, looks like he'll probably serve two years. Maybe he'll get out early, uh, and he will register as a sex offender. Uh, his uh, life, as he knew it before, is uh, is over. Um, he, he clearly is uh, a sick and uh, grotesque maniac, um, and I don't. There's nothing that I can say about that that you don't already know. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no value added for me to sit here and just talk about what a gross weirdo he is. We all know he's now going to federal prison, and uh, he's a he's a registered sex offender. 
What I do think is interesting, though, or what I think is worthy of more of our time um, than just talking about what a what a it's it's hard to even grasp. I mean, this guy he lost his congressional seat over this, and then tried to run for mayor and was still doing it, and then did it with minor. I mean, with a minor. It's just the guy is clearly. Um, I don't know. What we, he says it's a sickness. I, I don't know if he has a diagnosable mental illness or if he's just, you know, a guy who's bad. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a. I did find it fascinating some years, many years ago. I remember reading a piece. Pardon the uh, digression here. I'll get back to Wiener. And, and the, the, what I want to talk to you about is the the politics of the depraved politics of the left. And how if you're on the right side of things, they'll, they'll defend you and, and do everything they can for you until the very last moment. Right. As long as you have utility for the left, doesn't matter what a sicko you are, how many people you hurt and uh, how depraved you are. If you're useful politically to the left, they will defend you in, until they can anymore right? until you're finally like locked up and and gone. Um, but as a as a digression, if you'll allow me, um, I remember reading years ago. Uh, I forget which newspaper it was about how these psychiatrists who sit down with people who are the worst of the worst. I mean, serial killers, serial rapists, people that have no ability to to um, em- empathize with other human beings who are uh, not just sociopathic, but psychopathic. So- sociopathic means you don't feel the pain of you, you don't have any emotional connection, feel the pain of others. Right. Um, uh and they said that they try to find medical explanations for why anybody would uh, be, well, psychopathic, derive joy from inflicting pain on, on other people. Um, and they sometimes were left with, uh, through long conversations and analyses of these individuals that were serving, obviously, life, life sentences in prison, that they were evil. That they, that they actually were evil, that, that that was a possible on the spectrum of what a human being, that a human being can choose evil. And we don't often talk about that because it, it then starts to feel biblical and Christian and or, you know, at least re- religious. Um, and the media gets very, very uncomfortable with that, even though um, as a Christian, we're, we have a choice, right? Good and evil. We're making choices all the time. And it is possible for a person to have be, to be overcome with that choice of evil. Anyway, that that I always thought was interesting that that you have these psychiatrists. By the way, psychiatrists as a profession as a part of the medical profession are more leftist than any other segment of medicine, right? If you want, you know, Bernie Sanders voters shrinks psychiatrists. They they they're overwhelmingly going to be uh left of center uh or far left. And if you want, you know, uh, red-blooded, all-American types, uh, surgeons tend to go, uh, surgeon, surgeons tend to skew conservative. I also think surgeons, there's no nonsense, and, they try to, and they're trying to fix things, and they're really trying to fix things, and that just appeals to a conservative mindset. But I know it's true of a lot of different doctors. But anyway, um, back to the, so Anthony Weiner pled guilty today, uh, uh, pleaded guilty. Um, and is going to go to prison for a while and is a registered sex offender. His wife, Huma Abedin, the closest confidant of Hillary Clinton. I mean, this is an incredible story. The closest advisor and and many would say closest friend of Hillary Clinton, who was so close to being president of the United States. I know she lost an election night, but, you know, 
New York Times, day of, 90% chance that Hillary's going to be it, and she wasn't. But had she won, Huma Abedin would have been a special advisor to the president in the, in the White House. And her husband is not is is having uh, these illegal, never mind saying inappropriate, of course inappropriate, but illegal exchanges with someone that he knows to be uh, underage. I mean, and it's not the first time he's been in trouble for this stuff. Uh, you know, now this is where I wanted to go back and you look at the culture of leftism because it's it's not just Anthony Weiner. And yeah, finally, Weiner Weiner went too far. Uh, you know, there there is an extent. You know, once you're in the in the uh, category of pedophilia or you know uh, pred- predating predatory behavior with minors, no, you know, no one can defend you there, right? No, no one on the Democrat Party even is going to say, well, you know, but with. Uh, Certainly, with like rampant uh, infidelity and even uh, sexual assault, and um, all, you know, go, go on the line, along with other stuff, go down the line. Teddy Kennedy, Bill Clinton, John Edwards. I mean, look at what the left has produced. As and I'm and I'm not picking like some, you know, chief dog catcher for the for the you know the the, the city of who cares. I mean, th- th- these are the. These are the biggest names in the Democratic Party, Kennedy, Clinton. And they're bad guys and they're perverts. In the case of Clinton, I mean, you, you know, you can you can believe that there's a massive conspiracy where women just get together who are otherwise completely credible in all of their dealings in life and just lie about how Bill Clinton uh, grope them, sexually assault them, you know, bite them, attack them, um, use his position of influence, you know, it, it, you know, that's why, by the way, all the stuff that we're seeing play out right now about how, oh, and, and the jokes and the nastiness I'm seeing from CNN about Fox News, uh, I think some of these other news organizations, they might want to watch out because the whole male-female dynamic uh, that can play out in sexual harassment ways is not limited to Fox News. That I can say. And I know because I've been told stories about other places, because <laughs> I know a lot of the younger folks in this business uh, because of my age. I, You know, if you're a TV pundit, especially if you're a conservative, well, if you're a conservative, certainly, but in general, because of my time at CNN, if you're a TV pundit under 40, it's a good chance I know either I know you directly or I know someone who knows you, and those I know directly tell me things and I hear things, and there's more than just Fox News that's got that's got these problems that I can, I'm not going to name any specific places, but it's just not it's not just a problem at Fox News. All right. But back to the culture of the Democratic Party here. You know, Anthony Weiner was a congressman. OK, you can say, Buck, there's a lot of congressmen. Fine. But Anthony Weiner was married to one of the most, you could argue, I think, without much of a stretch, one of the most powerful women in the Democratic Party. I mean, Huma Abedin, closest closest confidant to, you know, Huma Abedin was to Hillary Clinton what Karl Rove, you know, or would have been to Hillary Clinton what Karl Rove was to George Bush. You can tell me this isn't somebody who has tremendous influence and, and would have had tremendous influence in administration. So, and so he's right there at the seat of power in the Democratic Party. And you go back to the beginning, by the way, and Andrew Breitbart, may he rest in peace, one of the people who was uh, I never knew him either. I never got a chance to meet him, much to uh, much to my regret. Um, 
but one of the people that inspired me to get involved in conservative media, actually. I saw the stuff he was doing. I was like, this guy, this guy's fearless, and he's having fun while he's making the arguments. I love it. Uh, but he was one of the ones originally that made the case about Anthony Weiner. And the left went after Breitbart, of course. You know, oh, it's all a lie. You know, Breitbart's a proven liar. He's lied. He's done all this bad stuff. Uh, and it's amazing when you go back. It was back in 2011. You go back and you will read. Uh, you know, here's CNN's Jeffrey Tubin, who also recently, I mean, the fact this guy's a legal analyst at CNN is a joke. But anyway, in Wiener's, this is a quote back in 2011 on Anderson Cooper's show. In Wiener's defense, I think we do need to point out that the person behind this was Andrew Breitbart, who has a practice of targeting Democrats, Shirley Sherrod, most notoriously of all, and his stories tend to fall apart on close inspection. Uh-uh. Story didn't fall apart. And I, I now, I, I, by the way, I've, I'm, I'm going to watch it, if not this weekend. So I got to watch this Wiener documentary because I've heard it's excellent. I know the story, but I, I want to watch this documentary because this guy is sending photos of his male area to strangers as a congressman loses his congressional seat at first didn't want to resign and then comes back and thinks he's going to be mayor of new york which yeah you're only the mayor but you're the mayor of a city of eight million people the most important city in the country and arguably the most important city in the world it's actually a big job and thought he was a serious candidate for it and had some real democrats that were going to back him in this and they all were defending him initially even when this first stuff came out, oh no, it's you know it's it's a it's a smear job, you know Breitbart and everything else, and you know then we went through the whole Carlos Danger era where this guy had a pseudonym and he was doing this stuff, and then finally he, you know, if he hadn't, I will I will make this prediction: if he had not uh, made the egregious and unforgivable error of um, illegal conduct with a minor. I think I think the Democrats he he would have made he would have been able to make some kind of a comeback. Look at Elliot Spitzer on CNN. Elliot Spitzer was the state attorney general for New York and then uh, becomes governor of New York. Well known for prosecuting people, by the way, for uh, paying money to prostitutes. And himself is seeing prostitutes, and uh, is just just a grotesque human being from everything that I can see. And was terrible on TV, I should note as well. Horrible. CNN gave him a TV show. I'm, I'm telling, if Anthony Weiner isn't convicted of, of you know, sending obscenity and these obscene exchanges with a minor, he's probably going to, he probably would have gotten a show on MSNBC at some point. I, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's an overstatement. Because the left is comfortable with depravity as long as it serves a political purpose. That's the that's the overarching theme I'm trying to get at here. Look at John Edwards. John Edwards, now we all forget, oh, you know, whatever, he's just some guy. John Edwards was a VP candidate. John Edwards was a serious Democrat candidate for the presidency. At one point, he was like number two in the polls. And, you know, here's a guy who, when caught, is a, he's a lawyer, and when he's caught, he's going on TV and making it much worse. I mean, I will never forget. I was in the gym. I was watching the TV, and he goes on. He says that he cheated on his he cheated on his wife while she had cancer. Granted, you know his wife, and he has children. He cheated on his wife, but he, but she was in remission when he when he cheated on her. Oh well, in that case, John Edwards, we should clearly you know you're you're commander in chief material. I mean, but by the way, 
you go back and you learn about his cases and you learn about how this guy built his career and the, the kinds of emotional and psychological manipulation and just the sliminess of John Edwards. And, and it's none of it's surprising. But Democrats were holding this guy up like he should be the president of the United States. They, a lot of them wanted him to be the president. He was vice presidential candidate for Kerry. So then you get Teddy Kennedy, who, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, this is my, my parents' generation. My, my, I wish my, I could make my parents appear here. And they would just start talking about Teddy Kennedy. They know his stuff much better than I do. But, uh, you know, I, I know that he was having an affair with a woman and drove off a bridge at Chappaquiddick and she drowned. How, how, do you, how do you get up out of bed after that? As a man, you, you're, you're intimately involved with someone. You know, it's an affair, but you're intimately involved with someone. And you drive off a bridge and she slowly drowns in the car. And, and you, you're worried about going to establish an alibi somewhere else. And then the Democrats call you the lion of the Senate and you're part of this political dynasty and we're all supposed to bow and genuflect to the Kennedys? I mean, it makes me want to want to spit on the street and start cursing. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Clinton, Kennedy, Edwards, and now Carlos Danger, a.k.a. Anthony Weiner. You see, this is systemic on the left because it really is... A, a political ideology, it's, it's a political grouping whereby the achievement of power is everything. And if you are useful to that purpose, whatever you are as a human being and whatever you do, whatever kind of depravity and immorality, it, it, uh, unless you're going to get convicted of a felony, th- then they got to back off. But anything up to that, and look at Teddy Kennedy, he didn't get convicted of anything somehow, but it's different, I'm sorry, between Democrats and Republicans. It is just different. It's a different way of thinking. It's different between the parties. And people talk about Trump and they're like, oh, he's, you know, he's explicit when he talks about women off camera. I'm like, Trump hasn't done anything in the same stratosphere as these Democrats, not in the same universe. We'll be right back. OMG. Turn on the Duncan Sheik, throw in a VHS of friends and put on that uh, oversized flannel shirt, my friends. Zima, which I mentioned yesterday just randomly, Zima, the alcoholic beverage uh, beverage that tastes kind of like uh, like Sprite that's gone a little sour, uh, is making a comeback. Um, I'm seeing this online now. This is on uh, delish.com, which I, I hope is a real site. I don't know. Um, but it's saying that Zima is going to come back. Is that even really possible? Yeah. It, they're saying they're saying that there will be Zima again. I know some of you are like, "Fuck! Why are you, why are you talking about a spritzer that's from the '90s that none of us drank anyway?" Really, some of us remember. Okay, some of us maybe we were just kind of figuring out, you know, the drinking situation. Maybe we'd have a little wine cooler. Maybe maybe we'd have a Zima. You know, just just cause. Why not? It depends. Maybe we'd go to Home Depot. I don't know if we have enough time. Scott in Florida, WFLF. What's up, Scott? Hi, Buck. We love, hey, but we love your show down here, man. Thank you, sir. Uh, we're hating, hey, we're hating the media, man. Not paying attention, not watching it anymore. Uh, we used to watch it for kicks and laughs, you know, but it, it became uncomical. It's not funny anymore. It's disgusting. Yeah, so, do you, can I? Can I? Uh, I want to hear what you have to say, and I want you to stay with me for a second. Here, but just, just as, a, as an aside, you see this Harvard, uh, a study from Harvard came out saying that eighty percent of media, eighty percent of media coverage of Donald Trump has been negative. It's from Harvard. Uh, yeah, we quit, man. We just quit. All you have watching that are rock hard progressive liberals. We're not. Yeah, we can't watch it, man. You know, it, it quit being funny. It really did. 
Yeah. I hear you. But, um, yeah, we're hating the media. We're loving Anthony Wiener turning himself this morning in. It was great. Uh, it was great. I heard it on the radio going to work. You know, and he was really, he was the an attack dog on the left, Scott. I mean, he was the guy who really made his name going on TV and being nasty to people, you know, re- really being the, the, snide the and undermining to people. So there's a lot of schadenfreude right now. The little, uh, uh, the little line of the Senate. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. Scott, thanks for calling in, man. Right. Shields, Shields High. Appreciate it. Um, uh, anyway. Yeah. God, Teddy Kennedy, the line of the Senate. It's horrible. It's terrible. Um, Anyway, we got Tommy in Ohio on the line. What's up, Tommy? Hey, Tommy, you there? Yes, I am, Buck. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? We got about a minute, but I want to get you in. Okay. Hey, first off, shield tie. Shield tie. Secondly, hey, Buck, you have reignited my passion for learning history. I I, I love reading about history i love do and i love holding an actual book in my hand uh, a couple of shows i think that was from your show on tuesday yeah i talked about actual and books I, yeah yes and i also want to say that i i completely agree with sean smith i think that was from the federalist is that his name sean davis oh sean davis okay I'm not wetting my bet on this at all. I think this is a waste of time. I think it's a waste of taxpayer money, and I'm ready to move forward. Yeah, and man, me, me too. Media is definitely not though. Trump is gone, and they're 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 still in the frenzy. Um, Tommy, we're at time, man. But Shields High, have a great weekend, and thank you very much for calling in, guys. Let's talk about North Korea hacking the world, possibly the allegations about that, the news reports about that, and then uh, some closing thoughts for the show. Stay with me. I'll be right back. The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? The Buck is back. It was just days ago that the news broke of a massive hack around the globe. Uh, reportedly 300,000 computers in 150 countries held for ransom, and it crippled several European companies and hospitals in the United Kingdom. People were immediately wondering who could be behind such a massive cyber attack. Well, according to Fox News here, you might want to look at North Korea's hacker army. Uh, to help us look at this now, we've got Gordon Chang He's author of The Coming Collapse of China and Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Gordon, great to have you. Thank you so much, Buck. So, Gordon, in American pop culture right now, uh, when people think of North Korea, they often make jokes about how, you know, they've just discovered their new military technology of VHS tapes or, you know, there are only four people who have the Internet. Or So it, it seems counterintuitive that North Korea could conceivably be behind such a massive global hacking operation. But in fact, the North does have some very serious cyber capabilities. What can you tell us about them? Yeah, the most important thing, Buck, is that, of course, North Korea is isolated, has very few Internet links, which means that its hackers are based elsewhere, many of them, of course, in China. And so what we have to do is look not only at North Korea, which seems to be implicated in these uh, WannaCry attacks, but also the countries where North Korea has based its hackers. 
And when we do that, of course, we've got to look at, at China. Um, we have a real suspicion that the attacks on Sony Pictures Entertainment in 2014 were, in fact, launched by North Korean hackers in China. And probably when we look at these WannaCry um, attacks, um, probably the Chinese were implicated in some way as well. And what can you tell me about this group, if anything, that is uh, mentioned here in this Fox piece uh, that experts have previously attributed some North, some of North Korea's alleged cyber exploits to a group of highly trained cyber spies known as Bureau 121, a group that Reuters has previously described as a hand-picked, pampered elite. What's going on here? Well, North Korea takes its smartest kids, um, trains them in cyber attacks, and then um, sends them to both China and Russia uh, to get refinements, to get learn more. And, and then uh, these folks are based in a number of different countries, um, including Russia and China, and from where they do launch attacks on the rest of the world. China, uh, North Korea needs to do this because its Internet links just are not big enough and robust enough and are too easily traceable. And so, therefore, the North Koreans need to put their hackers elsewhere and the Chinese and the Russians are too happy to, are too busy. Sorry, they're they're just willing to let this happen. Yeah, I was. That was the the next question I want to ask you, Gordon. Why, why would Russia and uh, China take the possible risk of of housing or even just turning a blind eye to these hacking groups that are, are getting international headlines? Well, the Chinese support North Korea. Um, they support them across the board. You know, we see this not only from a trade, uh, supplying oil on concessionary terms, supporting them diplomatically. Um, Beijing gets some very important short-term advantages from the North Koreans. And so um, it, it shouldn't be a surprise that China basically allows the North Koreans to launch cyber attacks against the world, especially the United States, from Chinese soil. You know, Chinese President Xi Jinping, like Hu Jintao, uh, the leader before him, have identified the United States as North Korea as China's primary strategic adversary. So, you know, they're going to help the North Koreans um, attack us. And we've got to understand that. Um, in the Sony Pictures attacks, we said, look, they come from North Korea, but the Chinese are not involved. That was really wrong for our government to do that, to make that pronouncement. And we're not going to stop North Korean attacks on the United States and elsewhere until we have some realistic conversations with both the Chinese and the Russians. So, yes, the North Koreans are villains, the Chinese are villains, the Russians are villains, but our leadership has permitted this to occur, and the American people should be angry and upset at this. Speaking to Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Gordon, what do you think would be appropriate countermeasures? Uh, what are the kinds of policies that would be worth at least considering, uh, if not openly pursuing or maybe not openly, but but pursuing for the United States government in, in order to deal with this hacking that can come from a number of places, you say, a number of different adversaries on behalf of North Korea? Well, the United States needs to consider um, imposing costs on, on Beijing and on Moscow for this. Um, the Commission on Intellectual Property in May 2013, the Blair Huntsman Commission, um, actually talked about imposing tariffs on, on Chinese and um, Chinese goods um, because of uh, China's cyber attacks on the United States. And, and we should consider cyber attacks that are launched on Chinese soil, even if they come from North Koreans, as a launch by China. You know, China has the Great Firewall, the most sophisticated set of Internet controls. 
the Chinese can see everything that goes across that great firewall, both going out and coming back in. And when the North Koreans exfiltrate hundreds of terabytes of data, you know, they can see that in Beijing. So they're complicit, and we should consider imposing those costs on China where it hurts. It's you- going to hurt us. It's going to hurt us, Buck. But nonetheless, we cannot allow the Chinese to continue attacking American institutions and institutions of our friends and allies and not impose costs on China for doing so. Gordon, do you see any change in the any any actual change yet in the posture of this administration uh, vis-a-vis China and North Korea? There was a lot of headlines about North Korea over the last month or so. Uh, people were really concerned about the missile program, the nuclear capability of, of North Korea. We know that there was discussion about Trump trying to get China to be more helpful in that process. Has anything that we can point to changed, or is it maybe just a, a, a tonal shift so far? Well, President Trump has said that he's relying on China to disarm North Korea, and and Trump has been very explicit about his strategy. He said he's not going to declare China a currency manipulator, something that he promised to do during the campaign. He said that he's going to give China an easier trade deal. And by the way, the trade deal that was announced by the Commerce Department last Thursday, which was supposed to reduce America's trade deficit with China, might actually increase that trade deficit. So clearly the Trump administration is giving China a lot of free passes. Also, we see this in the South China Sea, where there have been no freedom of navigation um, operations since the Trump, uh, since Trump took office. So, you know, what we have seen is less resolute policies on China across the board um, and the hope that Beijing will help on North Korea. One can argue with this strategy. I don't think it's a good one. If it works, that's great. Um, But if it doesn't, this could turn out to be a debacle for the United States unless the president pivots and start imposing costs on China for behavior which is intended to undermine the United States. We're speaking to uh, author and uh, policy expert Gordon Chang. You can read his latest at gordonchang.com. Gordon, great to have you, sir. Have a fantastic weekend. Thank you, Buck. Team, we are going to go into a break here. We're going to switch up topics. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Welcome back, team. So this week, as, as you know, uh, Roger Ailes passed away. And I, I guess we, we shouldn't be surprised at, at all when this stuff happens because our discourse has become so coarse that people now feel like they can just say uh, anything and that there's there's no sense of decorum or decency to be uh, observed at all. Um, this notion of, look, I understand, don't speak ill of the dead. I mean, how long is that the case for? To, but, you know, you think that a, a normal, uh, functional and emotionally intact human being might not feel the urge to immediately say the most, and I, when I say say, I'm not talking about to, you know, your family in the kitchen or, you know, to, to your friends over a beer. I mean to blast out, uh, to, to try and put out a, a widespread uh, narrative of uh, destruction about a person, right? To really engage in character assassination of somebody who's uh, already dead. As I said to you yesterday, I don't know Roger, and I, I did not know Roger Ailes at all uh, met him once for about 30 seconds um, but to see what's out there I, I can't even repeat a lot of it to you because it's so it's so graphic and you know this is a, a family-friendly show I, I am amazed at how distasteful 
and how reprehensible. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, I don't spend time focusing on random Internet trolls, uh, the commentary about so that, that doesn't matter. Uh, you'll always find somebody who has a, you know, a sock puppet account somewhere or who's, you know, got just a, a, a photo of some strange object who's going to say the most vicious, hateful stuff. I, I think that for people of uh, of a certain, uh, sa- of, of a really sad and, and pathetic existence, uh, it's a form of, it's a catharsis. It's, it's a form of working out their problems by just unleashing the most nasty and vile stuff they can possibly conjure. Uh, it makes them feel a, l- a little better about themselves. There's that fascinating... Uh, social study that I, or sociology, was it sociology? No, psychology, pardon me, sociology, sociology, come on, sociology. I took a sociology class in college. I was like, I can't believe this is a class. Uh, but psychology, which sometimes is not much better than sociology, not going to lie, it can be, but not always. Uh, there's a, a, psycholo- a psychological studies showing that bullies uh, do benefit from bullying. We're always told that a bully is insecure, and if you, uh, you know, that that if you reach out to them, and you know, there's a way to to get around. No, bu- bullying is a form of predatory behavior that makes the predator feel better about himself or herself, right? But bullying does boost the self-esteem of the bully. Um, I I also do think that in a lot of cases. Uh, Talking back to the bully, maybe even throwing a throwing a, a shot at the bully's nose might not be a bad idea. But I, you know, I don't want anyone to get any trouble over that. So, uh, you know, when you're a kid growing up on the schoolyard, you you got to make your own decisions about this stuff. But you know, occasionally, um, I I remember some guy tried to bully me once a long time ago, and uh, I I got him with a a. It was one of the great things about my grammar schools. We had uh, was required to have wrestling, and I did a program growing up as well which wrestling is, is essentially grappling. A lot of people are so into MMA now. In fact, some of the uh, greats in mixed martial arts have a background in in wrestling. I don't mean WWE wrestling. I mean uh, you know competitive Olympic wrestling. Uh, but wrestling is, is a very good basis for grappling. Uh, but I also did a program that was boxing and, and judo growing up. It was once a week, every week for, for, for years, uh, which it's a good thing. I, I think every kid should be, every kid should be taught. I was going to say every young guy, but you know, I don't want to be part of the patriarchy. So if girls want to learn how to punch people, that's that's cool too. Um, but everyone should learn. Everyone should learn how to throw a punch, and everybody should learn how to uh, handle themselves in, in a grappling situation. Because most uh, scraps, most fights, turn into some form of grappling. Uh, at, at least all the ones that I've seen. And I'm not talking about in an octagon. I mean out on the street in a bar. Uh, I've seen my fair share of of nasty scuffles and. It, it, it's never a it's never a spinning fly kick to the temple, and you know it's never a Van Damme movie. That I do know. Uh, in fact, the only thing that reminds me of two humans who are actually fighting is when you've if you've ever seen, which is uh, also very disquieting and upsetting, two dogs who go after each other. There's something you immediately know when they're not playing with each other. You immediately can tell that no, this is they're trying to hurt each other, and there's just a different. Uh, ferocity and the movement and the energy and any of you who have a dog know exactly what I'm talking about because you know you you can see it you know it, it, I, I know people they're like yeah you know my, my bison frise which is like one of the most you know little frou-frou dogs imaginable uh yeah that's right it's up there with a Havanese I'll say it I'll say it that's right Havanese owners your dog is is nice I love all dogs but it's a little frou-frou 
but you know, they'll it'll be playing with a Rottweiler, and even though there'll be a little and you know they'll be, they can tell that the dogs are. I mean, it can go bad quickly, but generally you can tell when the dogs are playing or, or even roughhousing versus when it's like trying to hurt each other. And when you see dogs do that, and you see actually people doing that, I find that there's a similar energy and a similar uh, intensity, a similar frenzy in in the movement, and just you know, right? Uh, how am I talking about fighting instead of? Oh, also with with my brothers last week had a um, a really uh, interesting discussion based on some viral video that went around about martial arts. And you have a guy who's a Tai Chi master. I don't know. This video might be ten years old for all I know, but it, you know, my brothers, I saw it. You have a Tai Chi master who's going up against a mixed martial artist, and the mixed martial artist takes takes him out very quickly. And it's kind of sad. I feel bad for the Tai Chi guy. Um, but that's on the, on the spectrum I've always found, and this is as an observer and as an analyst, not somebody who pretends to be a martial artist or a trained fighter, because I'm neither of those things. Uh, I've done some martial arts, but in a in a very, in a dilettante fashion, right? I mean, I, 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 I can throw a punch, and I'd really rather not take a punch. That's kind of where I put myself. Um, but... In the spectrum, someone who's training in martial arts, not MMA, but general martial arts, uh, will beat people. This is what I was talking to my, my brothers about. This was my my sense of it. We'll beat somebody in a confrontation, all other things being equal, because you never know what's going to happen in a fight. Uh, but we'll beat somebody who is completely untrained. So, you know, if you've been doing Taekwondo for five or six years and you know, have, have some sense of, of that, you're going to be better off. Again, strength and speed, you have to equalize these things or you have, to, you have to take these things into account. Physics matters in a fight, but training helps against the untrained, even in a martial art that's not necessarily uh, always applicable. Um, but people who train to fight, meaning boxers, mixed martial artists, people who actually train for combat are generally going to be able to, in my uh, in my estimation and, and in my experience from watching these things play out, take take down somebody who uh, you know, has been studying like capoeira or savat or uh, pencox uh, pen, salat or you know any number of other uh, martial arts that are are out there. Um, so I think that's the Filipino stick fighting. I think I might I might have gotten that one wrong. See, like I said, I don't know this stuff that well. Um, Oh, yeah. I don't even know how we got into a martial arts talk here. It's late in the show, folks, so things just kind of happen. You know, if you have any thoughts on this, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton on the untrained versus martial arts trained versus combat fighting trained. Uh, if you think that spectrum is is generally fair. Look, uh, somebody who you know bench presses 350 pounds, runs a 5, 6, 40-yard dash, and, and you know, and and he, and eats his eats his wheaties, so to speak, is going to be tough. I don't care, you know, whether you have a brown belt or it doesn't matter, right? But uh, all other things being equal, I think that's how I would I would break a lot of the stuff down. Um, I, I got into bullies. I, I don't even know. This is one of the rare occasions where I'm just, you know, it's Friday and I'm so happy to be hanging out and uh, about to be uh, heading off for my weekend that I've I've lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, people being mean about Roger Ailes, um, and and internet bullies, uh. It's distressing. It, it makes me want to pull away from uh, from the internet, and, and I don't just mean as somebody who does this professionally, right? I, I have to engage in social media as a as a function of my job, um, but it's it's a real commentary on where we are now as a culture that a man can pass away unexpectedly, and the pylon, and, and he hasn't done anything to these people. Roger Ailes, these aren't his personal enemies. These are just people that don't like Fox News. 
saying horrible stuff about him. And you know, he's got a wife and a young kid, horrible things about him. I, you know, I, I don't like to to go on radio and sound like I'm the I'm the you know the happy camp counselor just tells everybody that we all need to be friends. But you know, decency is important, and uh, kindness is our first obligation. And some of these people in media, I just wish there were. I do wish there were economic consequences for them. I wish that there. I wish that real nastiness and meanness would be punished in the marketplace and that people who are huge jerks would uh, lose out financially because that's what should happen. Uh, anyway, uh, team, thank you so much for listening. Um, do go to BuckSexon.com. I'll be writing a column there next week. Also, Buck Sex with America Now, the podcast, you can download it uh, on iTunes. Please do. Until next time, my friends, shields hot.